Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 230 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins. Thanks so much for being here. Excited to have you. Now, before I introduce today's guest, I want to tell you a little bit about something I got cooking for you. It is called the Color Bar Challenge. This is a design and creative thinking challenge for graphic designers. Yes, that's you, and this challenge is for you. This is a completely free five-day challenge where we teach you some stuff, you get to solve a branding problem, a design problem, and you're given the solution and the assets and the copy and the creative brief to do so. There are going to be designers from all over taking part in this challenge, and it's going to be so interesting to see everybody provided the same creative brief, the same assets, the same copy. What does it all look like? What do these different designs look like? That is what I'm going to find super interesting. We have prizes from Mohawk Paper. We have prizes from Pantone. We have prizes from Field Notes and more. My gosh, this is going to be a rad time. It all gets rocking in the next three, no, sorry, four days. It gets kicked off in four days. So right now, take a pause, go to printdesignacademy.com and sign up for the challenge. Totes free who says totes? Do people say totes anymore? Totes free. Totally free. It's going to be awesome. Prizes, other designers from around the world to connect with, all sharing, all growing together. It's just going to be fun. My God. Go to printdesignacademy.com and find out what the heck it's all about. So my guest today is Will Hardaway. He's a service designer and educator, and this episode was rad. I absolutely had a blast talking to Will. During this episode, we get into anti-racism and design thinking. We talk about action figures as like early creative exploration. Oh, we, we reminisce. We reminisce on the action figures and some cool stuff that we got going on there. He then tells us about his move to community college from sort of tough neighborhood and how that was an eye-opening experience for him. We then talk about sneaker creative. Now, when I say sneaker, I'm talking sneaks. Do people say that anymore? Sneaks? Maybe not. Sneaker creative and how that was influential on his career path. Talk about some fashion brands and the community building aspect of fashion brands. I then quiz him about a couple of thought-provoking Instagram posts that he recently shared. And then he shares with us why right now is the most challenging time in his career that he's experienced so far. Gets into the details, then we get into some happy stuff, and he gets a dynamite ask it forward question from my previous guest, and he gives a swell answer. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get right to it. Today's episode with my fantastic guest, Mr. Will Hardaway. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? (laughs) 
Will Hardaway, welcome to the Quickie Podcast, my friend. How are you? Doing well, man. Awesome. Good to hear. Uh, before we get too deep into this, I got to know, Will, are you ready for a Quickie? I guess. <laughs> Eyebrow raise, I guess. I guess I'm ready. <laughs> Good enough for me. It sounds prepared. Um, let's dive in with some of the hard stuff. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself, Will. Uh, my name is Will Hardaway. I'm from uh, Texas originally, so third coast represent. Uh, I am a service designer, and I'm and I'm also an educator. And specifically, what I do is I combine the I combine the worlds of anti racism and uh, design thinking to you know help brands prevent things like appropriation, prevent uh, horrible work environments. Uh, and uh, just work toward a culturally sustainable business. So so you could almost say culture design. Yeah, you could, for sure. I like that one. So so break down that title a little bit for me. When you say service designer, what does that mean? So, well, you know, I what I do is I've done UX design. I've done brand identity work. Mm-hmm. What I'm most passionate about is service design. So like the interaction of human beings in a space in some mm-hmm. space like now, that could be like a virtual space. It could be a workplace. It could be um, a gym, like just where do humans interact and connect? Um, and that's what I'm super passionate about because I'm just passionate about having conversations with people. Mm-hmm. And I'm passionate about people uh, being able to come into things as their authentic selves as well. So whether that's an in-person uh, spot or whether that's an online spot, you're sort of crafting, you're designing that experience. Yep. Yep. And the the other thing that I always tell clients is all of our experiences were designed by someone. Mm-hmm. It might not have been a designer, but it was, it was planned and intentional. Man, getting deep right off the start here. <laughs> you could like look at a park bench and be like, you know, somebody, somebody designed that design was involved in that park bench. Right. It might be bad, but <laughs> somebody yeah. was like, all right, if I put this two by four here, yeah. we can rock with it. It ain't sexy, but that is a bench. That's a functional right. bench right there. <laughs> awesome. Well, Will, I want to hear a little bit more about your story, and let's start in the early days. Let's kick this back. I want to hear more about your childhood. What was that like? Do you feel that you had a creative childhood that pointed you in this career path? You know what? Like, if you had asked me uh, like years ago, like maybe like 15 years ago, I would have said mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. but I was creative leaning all the time. Now that I look back on it, um, <laughs> my childhood, the creative part came from action figures. Oh, so yeah, man. You're speaking my language now. I was raised in the 80s. And so we had, you know, G.I. Joe, Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. like all these action figures and what uh, me and my cousin would do, my cousin Winston, we would sit for hours and just play. Like we would make up feature length films with these action figures and a lot of improv, a lot of thinking on the fly, a lot of combining two disparate things, right? So like G.I. Joe's and X-Men don't really go together, but you know, if you make it work, you make it, it, work. It, it turns out great. So um, that's that's where I would say my creativity comes from, for sure. 
Man, when you say that, it takes me right back to childhood where I was tying string from one chair down to like the coffee table <laughs> in the other room. Hey, you need a zipline. Zipline. <laughs> yeah, you need a zipline. Yeah, a zipline. And it would be ziplining over like the WWE wrestling ring with a couple of wrestlers in the bottom. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. That's so cool. It takes me right back to my childhood. And you're right. That that free creativity to, to storytell in that format. Right. And that's what building blocks, too. And that's like a, a lot of design is not creating something like from nothing. It's taking things that already exist and seeing how they play together. Yep, 100 percent. Lego was like a huge thing and seems to be like just carry on generation after generation. Yeah, they they are killing it for sure. Hundred percent. So, so you're playing with action figures. You're exper- you're storytelling. You're creating that way. You're expressing creatively that way. At what point does design enter your life? When does somebody say, "Hey, have you checked out design?" Man, that was so late in the game. So I've never even heard of the term. So uh, the way my life went was, you know, I'm from a small town, mm-hmm. but uh, my town was just like heavily drug and crime infested. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like our trade. That's like what we did where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And so getting out of that, um, going to a community college, I was kind of like just an open book. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know a lot about anything. Um, and I just made a bunch of assumptions. I lived in this little bubble. Uh, and when I first encountered design was at like a, um, like we went to like a university type college fair and um the i want to say it's a san francisco art academy they had this uh thick catalog that was probably the size of like a yellow page phone book and they had every major in there they had photos of everything and i was just flipping through that and i was like man this this stuff looks cool this stuff looks interesting and that's ever since then i've been kind of obsessed with it Man, that's awesome. So what what age do you think that was where you really had your eyes open to design and you started down the pursuit of that path? I was probably about 20, mm-hmm. about 20 years old. Yeah. So when you... Um, because... Go ahead. I, you know, I, like, honestly, coming out of high school, I didn't have any thought of college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kind of accidentally ended up in college. <laughs> and I say that because... Uh, my sister kind of uh, forced it on me. It was like, hey, you, uh, because at the time uh, I was I was staying with her mm-hmm. and there was a group of uh, guys that uh, stayed down uh, below her who were on the track team at the community college. Mm-hmm. So I would hang out with them and uh, they would go up to a college sometimes. So I'm like up there on the campus, not taking any class, but just like hanging out kicking it with people yeah and then she was like you're always up there anyway you might as well just try to take a class or something and, <laughs> and that's kind of, that's kind of where it started awesome so was that first class that you started taking was that design related no not at all so the first class was this uh mass media and journalism class okay and um up to that point honestly when i saw the news i thought the news was fact like i thought if they reported on the news, that's what happened. That's what most people still and, uh, think. Yeah. So she showed <laughs> us this clip. Of, at the time, the, the war in Iraq was really big. Mm-hmm. And uh, she showed us this clip of, um, I think, like CNN or somebody covering it. 
Uh, and then she shows a clip of PBS covering it, and then another clip of another organization covering it. Mm-hmm. They were completely different, but about the same event. And that's when I was like, that that just opened my mind to every possibility. I was like, all right, I I like college. Like I never, I never considered that before. Yeah. So I think I could learn something here. It just kind of cracked open like intellectual channels that you just didn't know were there. Right. Right. What a cool experience. So when you started down this path of, you know, understanding design and furthering education in the direction of design, did you have any aunts, uncles, family members, counselors, or anybody who had gone down this path before that could sort of mentor you or coach you along? Or were you just kind of going at it and figuring it on your own? Uh, (laughs) I come from a family of hustlers, so nobody... (laughs) had ever really done anything but that that's just like what yeah. we grew up doing um i think the sa- the first people that i encountered that that did anything connected to design were probably online mm-hmm. like people online i um i would say that like apple when when apple like when jonathan ivy and stuff started making you know those like wild videos about the bevel and how they improved the bevel those. And, yep <laughs> yeah so like that's when I first when I was first like, man, that's like dope to think about the detail that goes into products. And that's when I found uh IDEO as a company and just dove into like online communities like Behance and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Man, that's awesome. And then that's you're you're in the design rabbit hole now. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Will, I wanna know what what or maybe only phrase it this way. Has there been any design or piece of art or anything like that that you've seen somewhere along the path that has been just extremely influential to you? Something you saw and it's just stuck with you since? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I would, I would honestly have to say... Um, the cement Jordans, like, like I've always been in the shoes and just any, and then Jordans and Air Max in general, just the different colors that they can come up with, um, the different silhouettes, like that stuff. Um, still to this day, I look at the, the products that people are making in the, in the sneaker space, especially now, cause like, um, they just released, uh, I want to say, I'm trying to think of what shoe it is. I want to say it's an Air Max, but a Lego version. And it's just, or it might be an, uh, an Adidas NMD, MN, uh, NMD, where they have Lego kind of um, kind of tones and highlights to it. Crazy. And that stuff still just gets me going for real. That's cool. So just the flexibility and creativity that can go into something like a sneaker. Yeah. Yeah. Something you wear every day. Like, like for me, I'm not a collector. So mm-hmm. like sometimes people see me wearing shoes and they're like, why are you wearing those? So I'm like, Hey, I wear mine. So, um, it's something you wear every day. Something you don't think about. It's just a tool that you use not to have your foot bleeding all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, somebody crafted over that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, look at the flex you can put on these things. Mm-hmm. Very cool. 
Well, is there is there any designers? We've talked a little bit about brands, just with you know Apple and some of the sneaker brands. Are there any designers or other creatives that you look up to or closely follow, and what is it about them that you like? Um, I think like Wolfgang Weinhardt, the Swiss style, like that, which is used in a lot of like hip hop, uh, a lot of grunge type textures and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Visually, that's what catches my eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of design in general, um, everything IDEO does, because that's when I first discovered human-centered design. Um, so I follow them closely. Uh, now that I'm in like the, the workshop kind of genre, I follow AJ and Smart as well. Um, but yeah, those are, those are some of the folks that I follow. And then in fashion, <coughs> in fashion... Uh, you know, like the the off whites, the Supremes, the streetwear type brands, the kits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I follow them a lot as well too. Yeah, what is it about those street brands that that is most appealing to you? Like, is it you know when you say a Supreme, obviously, like the first thing that jumps to my mind is iconic red, simple, clean. You. When it comes to those street brands, it's honestly not the visuals. Like the visuals are nice, they're amazing, but it's the community. Like, mm, yep. I was I was just giving somebody advice the other day, where I was like, streetwear brands have built a community. Like yep. we're we're talking about some of the pitfalls in the fashion industry with some of the big houses and stuff, specifically around like structural racism and oppression and stuff. And I was like, streetwear brands have built a community. Like. It's uh, fashion can be some connection point if people are willing to like come together and talk fashion because like with Supreme you have like it started with skateboarding and you have skateboarders that are still intensely in it but then you have the hip hop hip hop community that comes in and so mm-hmm. you know people are just sharing and exchanging based on a product um, and I think a lot of companies can learn from that. Man, I like the way of looking at that. You know, it's it's more about the community that's built rather than the visuals and creation of a piece, right? And right. That, and that is that really is the strength of a brand. It's less about a logo and a specific color. It's more about the community and culture built around that product. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many, and there's so many untapped communities that I don't think brands even realize, like. Mm-hmm. One one thing I always talk about, like being from Texas, like Houston car culture is like, like there are people that invest their life savings into a single car, mm-hmm. and like they we're talking about they're pushing whips that nobody else will dare buy. Like they're driving Buicks. Like Buick is a hot brand in Houston. I don't. I have never really seen Buick acknowledge Houston car culture. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. You're right because isn't is that maybe it's Lincoln? I'm thinking. I was like, which one? Which Lincoln car brand too. has um, you know Matthew McConaughey in his in his suit, right. like right, sitting back? Right. right? Start- I swear I was. I swear I was on the freeway the other day, and one of the the Lincoln uh, the SUV that he was driving in that commercial came up. I swear to God, I was like, I'm expecting to see Matthew McConaughey in this car. <laughs> no, you didn't, did you? Nah. It wasn't <laughs> <him>. <laughs> nice, man. Um, 
So, Will, I'm going to do something new here, and I kind of just blindsided you with it a little bit at the beginning of this episode, but um, I want to now do play a little Instagram game where I've pulled up a couple of posts from your Instagram account, and I want to show you those posts through the camera here, and I want to get your um, sort of a, the story behind the posts. Okay. So, the first one I'm going to show you, um, and this is your at willgo.io account. This is from back in July. Um, tell me about this one. Okay. Redesign design. So I'm big on design reform because, uh, you know, my my specialty is design thinking. Mm-hmm. I wrote a, a master's thesis on design thinking as a tool for social justice. And some of the flaws that are in the not not in the people using the tool because there's a lot of flaws there, mm-hmm. but also in the framework itself is that identity of the team is not really considered. And so when you come into a space and you're creating something, let's say you have a team of 10 mm-hmm. and these 10 people, maybe they work together a little bit, maybe they don't. We all know that like Margaret Neal's research in Stanford, like diverse teams do extremely well because they can they don't assume what each other are thinking mm-hmm. they can disagree because they have perspective but if you don't map identities and that's something that I do in my workshops is I we do identity mapping where what are identities which ones are uh, overrepresented and what are some identities that are underrepresented or missing from the team from mm-hmm. the design team um, and so that's an example of an element that I'm putting into my work to redesign design because identity is super important. If you want people to come to the table to be honest, to be as creative as they can possibly be, like you have to like map out identities and check for the bias that exists because of those identities present. Mm-hmm. So by doing that versus not doing that in design speaking, what how does one provide a better design solution to a problem than another? So for example, if you don't do uh, any identity mapping uh, and you're trying to create a, you're, you're creating uh, an interaction for a coffee shop, right? So you're creating this interaction with the coffee shop and uh, your team is, are all, like middle-aged men. Mm-hmm. If you don't kind of acknowledge that, then if the customer base is is, uh, is younger women, then you're bound to make some mistakes. 100%. In terms of what that interaction is like, mm-hmm. how things are placed, um, some of the spotlighting that happens with customer service. So if you if you do map that, it's like, all right, we don't have any women present. And what tends to happen with the t- if the team isn't uh, isn't acknowledging what bias is present, what tends to happen is that is in the empathy phase and in the um, prototyping phases. <laughs> it's not about it's not about like what like empathy is not about listening to people it's about listening to people and understanding them but it's also about who are you going to listen to like Mm -hmm. and we 
if we're all comfortable with ourselves, we're probably going to go and listen to ourselves. Or if we're all comfortable with like, quote unquote, regular people, whatever that means, we're probably going to approach regular people. But if you do identity mapping and you, all right, we don't have, this is in Brooklyn, we don't have uh, Latina females represented on our team. Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that we get that perspective more than any other perspective because of the demographics in the area. Mm -hmm. No, 100%. That makes sense. You know, looking at, it's like you have a, a group of middle-aged white men trying to make a product for, you know, a young Latina woman. Like, good luck, guys. Like, goodness gracious. Right, right. Which is why a lot of businesses, like, a lot of things don't don't actually work well for for us because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I like that. The identity mapping and sort of visualizing and seeing what you're missing from your team for that perspective. Right. I like that. So the next Instagram post that I want to share with you is uh, just from a little bit earlier this year, back in May, actually. And it looks like this is a carousel. But um, I want to know the story and explanation and lesson behind this carousel. <laughs> Meetings versus sprints. Meetings versus sprints. Man, I am allergic to meetings. I hate, <laughs> I hate, I hate meetings with a passion. Mm-hmm. And um, especially meetings with, like, people talk about not liking meetings with agendas. I even hate meetings with agendas. Like, if we're not putting pen to paper and we're not doing work, I really don't want to be there, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of what ends up happening, uh, you know, the I, I guess the organic way of solving some problem, especially um, service problems, is you get, like you put together a team of people, and this happens a lot in the university setting, you get together a, a, a team of people that represent like people that are uh, impacted by the problem you're trying to solve Mm -hmm. get together one they only voice their perspectives Mm -hmm. of like oh yeah this is why I'm here blah 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 this is what I think we should do automatically you jump to a solution and then because you jump to the solution so fast you spend a long time trying to make something perfect and it never happens and nobody ever follows up and it's like, so if nobody's following up on what was said in the meeting, yeah. why didn't we just do it in the meeting? And so uh, sprints provide a space to do that. One, you think individually together. If you write your uh, thoughts and ideas out individually and then share them out, that's you actually having a voice at the table. Mm, so how would you define a sprint? What's a sprint? So, I mean, it comes in many different forms. So, like, it could be... Um, like and there's a lot of elements within it, right? So it's kind of like design thinking. Like design thinking is a process that requires like a lot of external people. Mm-hmm. So you're you're doing a lot of uh, interviewing up front, a lot of prototyping and testing with external people. Mm-hmm. Sprints really work off the energy and power of experts. So it's when you have a team of experts on something, like a team of engineers, a team of artists for an art show, you know, like stuff like that you can run a sprint because they have enough collective knowledge and enough collective experience with other people that you don't, you don't need so much of the external interviews to get perspective. And so sprints work well for like businesses, like businesses that have a team already, they're trying to accomplish something, but they just keep hitting the wall. 
Interesting. So I almost, I hear also in you describing that, taking that into the, the situation where a company is wanting to test out a new product or an idea or something like that, and they have their focus groups. You know, when you have, like in that idea of a meeting where you have one person speak up and say, this is what I feel and think about this, already the minds of everybody around them goes, oh, that person's probably right. Right. Completely changes. Yeah. Whereas if everybody literally writes down, this is my personal opinion and thought on this item or this thing or this idea, and then everybody just reads what they got, that is almost more authentic than speaking them out loud because they're changing on the spot right for sure and that's and that's the exact problem with meetings is that somebody and it's not and it's not always like the um you know the type a or the alpha person but somebody's going to speak first yep and everything's going to feed off of that whether it be in a positive direction somebody speaks and people all agree or in a negative direction, somebody speaks, people disagree, but they disagree for like 50 minutes mm-hmm. and then the meeting's over. Yep. Man, I like that explanation. That's a good one. Um, so, Will, I got to now get into some of the tough stuff. Okay. I want to take you down part of your career where you've likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, <laughs> and I want to pull those stories out of you and share those with the listeners. Um After that, we'll, uh, we'll get to some happy stuff and we'll wrap it up at that point. Um, okay. So first up, what has been the most challenging period of time in your design career so far? Why is, was it challenging? And, or, or why is it challenging if it's going through it now? And how did you get through it? I honestly think it's right now. Thanks. So I just started a design consultancy last mm-hmm. year. Um, and in starting that, I first started, I was like, I like brand identity stuff. I want to be a brand identity designer. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, through, uh, you know, hiring a coach and all that, I found out that, you know what, like, you like the brand identity stuff, but (laughs) you're really good at the design thinking stuff. Mm -hmm. And so this journey of finding, like, who my target, my ideal client is going to be and all that, uh, I decided on the fashion industry the reason I decided on the fashion industry is because it's so culturally influential. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I want to have an impact on like racism and, and sexism and, and just all, all those forms of oppression mm-hmm. within the fashion industry, but it's the fashion industry. So it's tight knit. You can't get in touch with people. So that's, that's kind of like what I've been, what I spend my days doing now is networking within the fashion industry and it's extremely hard i can imagine you're trying to break into something in any time it is that tight-knit community like that like it's tough right that's tough man so how are you working through it how are you getting through that you just just pound through one foot in front of the other just keep trying (laughs) keep, keep kicking down doors and hoping windows open so uh you know a lot of it has to do with one thing that's great about niching down to something like that mm-hmm. is you get a lot of depth in like what you talk about, yep. what you do, how you interact with people. And so it's not like I don't have clients that are that aren't reaching out to me saying, hey, can we work? Mm-hmm. I do. Um, it's just not in the fashion industry at this time. So that's kind of how I'm working through it. Like I'm working with other people. I'm doing some amazing work. I'm learning stuff about uh, this whole approach and this process. 
Um, and so that's the that's the good thing. That's the silver lining in it is that you know, in pursuit of that goal, there's a lot of stuff going on in that journey. Awesome, and I think you're you're doing it right. You know, by hearing you say that, you are definitely living the approach of you're not going to succeed or fail. You're going to succeed or learn. Mm-hmm. Yep. I always tell, like my students, I always tell them, fail early, fail often, fail safely. Yes, 100%. So, Will, I want to get a little bit more specific with this next one. Can you take us to a specific design or project that you were a part of that did not go well, did not bring the desired result, didn't end how you wanted it to? Um, How did that feel? What was that like? Can you take us to that story? Yeah, so, um, hmm, that's a good one. Okay, so I had this... um, this was a project that kind of failed and then came back. Okay. But uh, this was a project with a group of biologists. And uh, this group of biologists, they um, just got a new editorial uh, chief. And it was the first female. And she had, she had seen some issues with uh, representation of authors okay. in the journals, in the peer-reviewed journals that they had. Mm-hmm. And so um, she came to me and she was like, can you kind of help me figure out like how to kind of change their mindset around, uh, you know, uh, being willing to even have an open mind when reading uh, journal articles from authors, from researchers in Africa or researchers in India or female researchers, you know. And so uh, initially when we sat down, I was just like, this, something like this would probably take a long time. And uh, so we kind of started these conversations and we would meet like every couple weeks. And this was, this was kind of before I had discovered the design sprint process. So because of, of her apprehension, it was kind of like we were kind of stalling things and over-calculating mm-hmm. the approach. And then it just kind of fizzled out. Like we just didn't connect for a long time. And then I had learned some stuff about design sprints and lightning decision jams and all that. And then she came back and I was like, I got it. Like I know what we got to do. And so what we did was we put together a workshop, a lightning decision jam, and basically what we did, <laughs> well, for one, in all of my workshops, I created a playlist and I was like, who are they? Like, who are these uh, people? And she was like, oh, there's a bunch of um, older white biologists that are from the 80s. I was like, all right, we'll put together a dope 80s playlist. So we had <laughs> we had the Eurythmics. We, you know, we had like we made that playlist work. And so uh, in the workshop, uh, the approach was basically changing their mindset and empowering them to see themselves as mentors to the authors before they were acting like this um, like rejection board like mm-hmm. you can't get through here like gatekeepers so we were trying to reframe the gatekeepers to mentors because these were up and coming biologists and if you want this field to stay alive if you want this field to be vibrant like what feedback do you give them because mm-hmm. a part of the problem was the feedback that they were giving was just like this is not good enough you need to work more you need to do this you need to do that it wasn't like encouraging feedback to mm-hmm. continue to allow them to continue work. And so uh, we ended up doing that through this uh, lightning decision jam. 
and it worked out pretty well. That's awesome. So break down the lightning decision jam for me, because not only does that sound awesome, and I just want to have a bunch of lightning decision jams, but but, but what does that consist of? What is that? So, um, I, and I use the term lightning decision jam because it is uh, a common term, like AJ and Smart, uh, they kind of made this popular, um, where it's like a design sprint. A design sprint is like a, a two-week thing, or like a two-week engagement. A lightning decision jam can happen in an hour. Mm-hmm. And all, so in a design sprint, you're prototyping, you're testing, you know, you're doing all that. But in a lightning decision jam, you're just coming to a decision and a way forward with specific solutions. Okay. So it's kind of like the stuff that you would want to take into a larger sprint or it's like a decision that's like, that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I do specifically is an equity decision jam because, you know, we had uh, these editors uh, in this group that were mostly white, uh, older males. And, uh, you know, we start with identity mapping. And then from identity mapping, uh, we identified uh, challenges with the editorial process. And then we voted on those challenges. And then after voting on the challenges, uh, you kind of come up with how might we's and how might we is just like a framing for um, it's more like a positive direction for a problem. So usually we express problems in a negative way. And if you uh, put the phrase, how might we in front of it, it's kind of like, how might we collectively do something? Um, So you reframe it into a how might we, and then you uh, put it on like an effort impact scale. Like, like what, which of these, how might we's will have the most impact, you know, and then you start um, designing solutions around it, effort impact scale. And then you come up with, more voting and you come down to like two or three solid decisions and ideas about what you're going to do to get more editors of color into these biology journals. Nice. Like that. So it's really, you're walking through through the steps of this in, in a couple of ways. One is you're going through in a, like, you know, a fairly fast manner so that, people are sort of in the zone and they're making decisions on the spot and we know we're accomplishing things we're doing things we're checking boxes but then you also lay that information that they're coming to out in really easy to understand scales and forms or whatever it is it's really easy to understand so they can see step a b and c will make the most impact here you go right and And, you know my favorite design tool is not a pen it's not paper it's not an adobe product it's a timer because if you put a timer on something, people like the creative juices start flowing. Yeah, man. That's why so many designers have been, you know, had their own personal websites and their own personal design stuff on the back burner. There's no timeline on it. There's no schedule. Right. There's no deadline. Yeah. Yeah. That's you a, right. You put a deadline on something, it becomes real. Yeah. Cause never worry is not coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> never worry. I like that. Um, so, well, I want to ask you this then. What is something that you're struggling with in your design career right now? Uh, I think it's, so it is the fashion industry, right? So, mm-hmm. and, you know, I say this being a brand new business owner, and I know I need to have patience, but it's it's probably just networking, connecting in the fashion industry. Yeah. Um, I've been, I've been having some dope conversations with people. 
uh, in the fashion industry, what's the, the most challenging thing is the structure and who decision makers are in fashion because there's a certain amount of like notoriety and fame that comes with being like a decision maker in fashion. Mm-hmm. And so these are people that are probably scheduled out for months. And so that's been the biggest challenge is, is getting to connect with those people. And so that's why I'm trying to get on like a podcast run, uh, do some design podcasts, do some fashion podcasts and just mm-hmm. get my voice out there. get it heard. Awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Just keep going. Don't stop. Yep. Okay, well, I'm going to turn this bus around here for you. Um, I want you now to tell me about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of so far, the one that just makes your heart sing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was probably, honestly, the decision to start a business. So I've been working in education for a long time, and I, I love my work there. And as my business grows, I'm kind of hesitant to leave there Mm -hmm. but uh, basically I've been doing design thinking work in the public sector and anti-racism work there but what I always notice is when we were doing anti-racism workshop people's antennas would be up like their awareness would be raised but when I would talk to them later they're like yeah I, I want to disrupt things in my office but I don't know how to go about it. I don't know what to say. I don't know who yeah. to talk to. And then, um, so there was no like follow through for those people. And then with uh, design thinking, uh, doing that work, I was just seeing like all these great results. And so coming up with the idea to combine the two and just writing on that right now and, uh, you know, just coming up with, uh, you know, the structure of my company, that's been the proudest thing for me as a designer that's wicked man that is an absolute monster of a roller coaster journey um but gosh worth every second from the lessons to you know the highs of the success mm-hmm. so will you've reached the ask it forward question this is where we wrap things up on the quickie podcast here and this question is i have a question for you from my last guest and you get the opportunity after to ask okay. a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. Okay. So <clears throat> for your question, sir, my last guest was Michael Panda from at peanut free Panda on uh, Instagram. Fun guy, great attitude. Um, it was an awesome interview. And just to put a little context to this for you, there is your, you know, when you're thinking superpowers, there's your A-list superpowers, you know, like the ultimate strength, being able to fly, visibility, <laughs> okay. you know, those are like your A-list. Right. Right. What what would be your B or C-list superpowers? Like a list of them? Yeah, give me a, give me a couple. What are your what are your B or C-list superpowers there? Man, okay. So if I had to to pick apart Superman, right? Superman is like omnipotent almost. Yeah. But if you just had super hearing and nothing else, like, man, that's kind of whack. If all you could do is hear things really well, <laughs> like I don't know. Um, what's something else? Man, I even that hear things well, I never even thought of that. That's so true. <laughs> right. You just hear it. You know what's going on in that conversation. Yeah, 
and and you know all the x-men are so single powered but mm-hmm. nobody ever just had super hearing like no. they'll be whack <laughs> yeah no there's like, um, what yeah. else uh, I would say another B list uh, power, or maybe even C list, uh, would probably be. Um, huh. I would say. I just thought of one. Like, what if, what if you could, you had the ability to change your facial hair like in an instant. <laughs> Right, <laughs> you'd be like, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling clean shaven today, and you can just go oh, clean shaven. Yeah. The next day, you're just want to, you want to take the Harley out, and you're like, you know, I feel like I really need a good four foot beard for this, and you could just like <laughs> close your beard eyes, push a little bit, and go beard right down. Beard power is wild. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's useless. <laughs> <laughs> completely right. depending on how you look at it though that might be dope yeah maybe it's like an e or f list that'd be a pretty sweet party trick where you go clean shaven and you're like hey check this out and you just like force a mustache yeah <laughs> yeah that's all that I was a, that's a tough question that was a good one yeah that was a good one i like yours though the hearing i never even thought of that that'd be great perfect man well well what is your Ask a forward question for my next guest. Mm. If you could bash together the concept of any two films, what would <laughs> what film would you make? Of any two films. Yeah. Okay. What about Top Gun? Mm. And Classic. What other one could we mix in here? Top Gun and Frozen. <laughs> right? Could you first of all, what do you call that? Oh man. I could I could imagine uh Elsa being Iceman. <laughs> being the Iceman. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's Everything way has too to be perfect. You gotta be by the book. Yeah, that's too many parallels. Man, I didn't even think yeah. I didn't even think of that. Totally true. Iceman, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh man, that's a great one. That's a, such a fun, creative question. Will, that's great. I can't wait to ask my guest that next que- that question. Then um, you've reached the end of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you so All much right. for being my guest today, Will. This has been awesome talking and hearing about the education and, and the your design process and the way you're, that you're executing this design thinking with your customers and clients. Um, that's awesome. Just keep doing you, man. This is great. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, man. All right, everybody, that is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Remember the color bar challenge. If you think you're ready for the color bar challenge, head over to printdesignacademy.com and sign up. I dare you. I dare you to do it. It's completely free five-day challenge for you graphic designers out there, printdesignacademy.com. And as always, if you are digging what you're hearing here on the Quickie Podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a rating and a review. They make me smile. They help others find us. And that brings even more smiles. So thanks so much. Talk to you soon.